0: with you almost every time that we we open up the book of romans um, the reason we say made right is because that's why jesus was born into this world to make us right with god uh, one of my sister-in-law's her favorite passages of scripture in the last few years was ephesians 2 8 9 you know it says for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of works which any man can boast it is the gift of god and when you really start to wrap your mind around that you just it's you as we were singing in worship you just you fall more in love with Jesus cuz you realize um he paid a debt that he didn't owe and you and I as you know the song would declare we owe a debt that we cannot pay and uh, that God would lay upon the inequity of us all upon his son and make it possible for us to be not just uh, have our sins overlooked but to have our sins forgiven mm-hmm. and to be made uh, right with God is just a, an unbelievable almost truth i mean to think that God would would do something like that and so uh, it's been a, a joyful series uh, in this we find ourselves this morning uh, still in romans chapter 15 we're going to read verses 14 through 22 and i titled this i call it the kiss method have you ever heard of the kiss method what is the kiss method no that is the that is the unredeemed version yes what is it when you when for Christians it's it's what keep it simple saint yeah saint we were stupid and we can still be stupid but uh no it the kiss method i was thinking of here is uh keep it simple saint that's really what paul is is talking about here and and it's such a great reminder, you know, for all of us. Um, how many have ever heard the expression, you know, uh, we remember what we should forget and we forget what we need to remember. You ever heard anything to that? Yeah. And, and it's so true. And that's really what Paul is doing here is it's why he's keeping it simple is that, you know, I taught so many different messages on this, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Um, you know, it's the centrality of Christ. I mean, it's keeping Jesus at the center of your life. I've shared, keep Jesus between you and everything else. And, you know, you're going to be fine. And so Paul just at the end of, of the book of Romans, this is what he's doing. He's like, I've told you everything. And it's like, you know, I remember years ago, one of my favorite pastors to, at a pastor's conference, he said, you know, for, a, you want to be a good, uh, you know, pastor. He said, This is how you should set up every single sermon that you teach. He said, tell them what you're going to tell them and then tell them and then conclude it by telling them what you told them. It's just redundancy It's just keep bringing it back. And Paul obviously is, you know, the teacher of all teachers here. And that's what he's doing. He's bringing us back and reminding us. He's admonishing us and going, Hey, I've told you all these things to tell you all these things again. And so that's where we find ourselves. You know, we ended last week in Romans chapter uh, 15 verse 13. It said this. It said Paul wrote, "I pray that God the source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him." It says, "And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit." And you know, I reminded you, you know what? What is hope? And you know, probably the best definition of hope, it's the absolute expectation of coming good. And so, when you think about Paul reminding us, you know, I I had to think about this a lot the last couple of weeks with the passing of my sister in law. Is I remind you often, you know, that the best for the believer is still yet to be. If you're here today and, and you don't have Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, this is as good as it gets. But if you have Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, no matter how good it is right now, guess what? The best is still yet to be. Amen. And what what an encouragement, what a hope there that is for us. You know, Hebrews 11.1 one, you know, makes it plain. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. And so it's the antidote, you might say, for in the church divisiveness and, and defensiveness. And and again, uh, and I love this. You know, when you think about Scripture, you know, uh, all throughout Scripture, hope is is often you know referred to in conjunction with the coming of Jesus Christ. So no matter what you're going through, you know, Jesus is the answer. He's the solution. He's the hope. He's what you know we look for. It wasn't just the fact that he he came; it's that he's coming again. You know, as wonderful as Christmas is, you know, we declare every year Easter changes everything. Amen because it's Easter when Jesus rose again from the dead, that we understand that because he lives, we live too. And in one of the things with regard to the Apostle Paul, before we read this this morning, you know, I I love this John Corson, one of the pastors I enjoy reading. He said, the more evangelistic a church is, the less divided it becomes. And he went on to say this in his commentary in Romans. He said, After spending the first half of Romans 15 talking about unity in the body, Paul shifts gears. First, he said he pushes in the clutch. It's important if you shift gears. He says to discuss ministry in the world. And why? He said because the two are so closely related. And so when you think about this, you know, when does unity in the church happen? When people are most ministering in the world. And it's so true when you think about, you know, what Paul is reminding us of, you know, here in Romans chapter 15. So let's read verses 14 through 22 and we'll pray and we'll jump into this this morning. Paul would say this, he says, I'm, and I'm reading from the NLT, he says, I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well that you can teach others all about them. And even so, I have been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder. And there it is, tell him what you tell him. It says, For by God's grace, he says, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God, made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all that Christ has done. Through me and my service to God, yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked amongst them. They were convinced by the power of the miraculous signs and wonders, by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way. Um, what is that? The word is Illyricum. little city there Um, says my ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of christ has never been heard rather than where a church has already been started by someone else i have been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says those who have never been told about him will see and those who have never heard of him will understand in fact my visit to you has been delayed so long because I have been preaching in these places. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word, this would probably be a portion of text most of us would just kind of gloss over and not really look at it in the detail that maybe we need to, to appreciate, Lord, um, just the fullness of this message that that Paul would bring throughout the, the book of Romans, and, and then what it meant to the church when they heard it, and the impact that it had upon their lives, and the way that it it shaped the way that they thought and, and shaped the way that they responded, Lord, to not only each other, uh, but Lord, to the world around them. And so, Lord, even as Larry was praying and uh, worship today, that, God, we would receive all that you have for us, that you would counsel us today, that you'd admonish us and teach us, Lord, transform and change us from glory to glory, God, that we would become all that you desire us to be that others would see the hope that's in us, that, God, they'd see the change from the inside out. Lord, as you, you remind us through the apostle Paul not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so, Lord, we set our minds today on high things, on the things up above, and not on the things of the earth. And so, Lord, have your way with us. It's our prayer. Lord, we have so many needs, so many things that we can be in prayer about. But, Lord, we we surrender all those things today, and we lay them at your feet, and we say, not my will, but, Lord, yours be done, knowing that, Lord, your your will is good. It's perfect in every way, and it's good for us, Lord. So even though, Lord, we don't see, we trust, Lord. And we thank you, we bless you, Lord, we praise you for this day as we pray in Jesus' name. We all agreed saying amen? Amen. So in verse 14, you know, Paul, he begins here, he says, I'm fully convinced, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. And so why, did he, why would he say something? Was he just trying to um, flatter them? You know, Scripture warns us about flatter. It's one thing to compliment somebody. You know, a compliment is when you, you pay uh, respect or honor to someone with the hope of blessing them. You know, when you flatter somebody, you say something kind or nice or whatever it might be because you hope to get something from them. And obviously, when you study the Apostle Paul's life, he's not trying to get anything from them. He's investing his very life into them, and it's important you know, that we see that. And he says, and you know these things so well that you can teach others all about them. And so he was, he was very sure about the gospel message, you know, the redundancy of it, that he had taught it so much, and others were teaching it, and, and their message was consistent. It's one of the things in a church. You know, when you have multiple teachers, if you're teaching multiple things, you're gonna it's gonna be confusing. Um, but you know, when you have one message and it's the message of the gospel, the beauty of it is it's it's not my message, or it's not John's message, it's not you know uh, Mike's message or Jason's message, you know, or Nita's message or you know Vanessa's message. I mean, all the different teachers that we have, it's we we get our instruction from. God's word, the very word of God. And there's a safety in that because if all of a sudden you just start going, well, I kind of look at it this way and this is what I think. You know, it's like I share with you all the time. It really doesn't matter what I think or what you think. What really matters is what God says. Amen. And so the key is to keep bringing you back and reminding you of that. And that's all that Paul does, you know, continually over and over and over again. And so he was convinced, you know, that the believers there in Rome, that they knew God's word so much that they were more than capable of discipling others, which should be the goal of every single believer. Amen. That should be my goal. It should be your goal is that as Jesus said, he said to go into all the world, right. And you look at Paul's life. I mean, you think of, you know, here's the church here is, you know, that he's speaking of, you know, from, from Jerusalem all the way to Albania, you know, Yugoslavia, you know, we look and we go, did he ever make it there? You know, and you look and you go, well, he probably did. When you look on a map and you think, well, he was in in Thessalonica, he was in Macedonia, so he was actually east of 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 this little church there. Uh, You know, and so probably if he headed west, you know, headed back in the direction that he was, he he probably at some point we don't we don't see anything you know in Scripture that other than Paul saying I went there, and since we believe that the Word of God is true, it's not like he's just going, man, I had a, I had a wish that, you know, I hope that, you know, one day I'd go there. He's saying that's ultimately where he did ministry. And so we see that, you know, Paul was very committed in his life to go to the ends of the earth. One of the things, you know, anybody here raised Catholic? I, I, I was. And and the, what do the Catholics believe about Peter? They believe that Peter was the first Pope, right? And that Peter's ministry was where? That it was in Rome. But if you believe the apostle Paul, that he he never you know, himself that didn't, he has no problem with it. Jesus himself said it in John chapter four, it's not a problem of, of taking on the work of someone else, you know, Paul established, you know, churches and then he placed other ministers in there and he talks about building upon, you know, another man's work. And Jesus talks about that, that, you know, that you, in a sense, you will reap where you haven't sown and sometimes you're going to sow and you're not going to reap there. And that's okay. That's the beauty of the gospel, right? One waters, one plants, but God gives the increase. But Paul said of himself, and he says it here in chapter 15, he's saying, I don't want to go anywhere where somebody else has already preached because I don't want to build on another man's work. He's And he basically, you know, he tells the church at Corinth, right? He said, you've had many teachers, he said, but you haven't had many dads, right? You haven't had any many fathers. I've been a father to you. And so Paul was, you know, we talk about being a true apostle. I mean, he had a desire to go where no man, you know, Star Trek wasn't even on the map then, but. He wanted to go where no man had gone before, right? And so if that was the case, you go, then who would have went to Rome? Would it have been Peter or would it have been Paul? And obviously Paul said that he went, he was going to Rome and he ultimately did go to Rome. He didn't go the way that, you know, he hoped to go to Rome, but he ultimately was in Rome. And so it's pretty hard to believe that then Peter, you know, would have been the the founding pastor there of the church at Rome when, you know, we see that the apostle Paul is the one who planted the seed there. So, there's a lot of things, you know, when you study church history and you look at this and you see Paul's heart, I mean, he has just a tremendous heart for the world. I mean, and you, you look at, like, even uh, taking a, a map out, if you map it out, the course of this, I mean, uh, historians tell us it's about 14,000 miles. That, that's a lot of journey. That's a lot of commitment, especially in the day in which Paul lived. It wasn't like he got on an airplane, you know, and flew I mean, this is, you know, you're talking over land and over sea, by foot, you know, on the back of, you know, whether it was horseback or on a mule. And and why? He goes, he's motivated by the love of God, that the love of Jesus Christ would compel him in this world. And so he, that's his heart. So you kind of like kind attracts like kind, right? So for Paul to say, you know, the church at Rome there, he says, you know, I'm fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. He He wasn't just trying to get them you know over to his side; he saw something in them that had been planted that had happened because of the Word of God, and they'd reached a place and and I pray that in your own life that you find yourself in that place that that's a sign of maturity where you go, "You know what i I know enough now i've been I've been here long enough, I've been listening to enough sermons that by now I should be able to what share what I know with someone else." To make an impact in their life, and this is what the apostle Paul is doing. And you go, and what will motivate a person to do that? It's what I shared with you last week. You know, when it when your life becomes you before me, that's really all the motivation that you need. It, it transforms our life when we begin to think of other people instead of ourselves. It changes everything. You know, I find most of the time, you know, in counseling appointments with people, the people that have the most trouble in this life are people who are victims. People who are always looking at, you know, this happened to me, and this happened to me, and this happened to me. And and when you start to look at things through the lens of Scripture, and you realize, you know, pretty much everything that, you know, if it's bad that's happened to me, you know, and I'm not saying that bad things can't happen to good people. I'm just saying when we examine our own hearts, um, when I look at what happened to Jesus, there there's nothing in my life that that even comes close to comparing with that. Most of the things I think that if we, that we suffer, if we were honest about it, we would go probably somewhat deserve some of it, maybe not all of it, but, but there's so much that we do. And so to all of a sudden come to a place where you're so grateful, like the apostle Paul of going, man, I had it so wrong that I was so zealous, you know, for God, but I was so wrong. And I, and I persecuted, you know, the very people, you know, that God loved when thinking about, you know, Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And then God made him the apostle to the, to the Gentiles. You know, you'd know, you think that well, he would have been the apostle you know, to the Jews for sure, but God just used him in such a profound way, and he gave him such a tremendous love. And that's a transformation, because here was a man who hated his daily prayer, was he thanked God that he wasn't like a Gentile. And all of a sudden, he's willing to give his very life he just, he just really embodies what it is to live a, a you-before-me mentality. And so he believed that the church, like I said, had the ability to do what God had called us to do. And Jesus said to the church, his disciples, it wasn't just the apostles, it was to me and you. He says, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, teaching them all that I have what commanded you. So, and then he said, and I'll be with you. I'll be with you even to the end of the age. You know, that word teach there, it's interesting, you know, in in the NLT translation, many of your translations has the word admonish, and it means to instruct or to advise or to counsel one another. And so Paul is saying, because you've been changed, because you've been transformed by the word of God, because, go back to Romans chapter 12, follow the progression of that, right? You know, He says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed, right? As you present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing to Him. He says, which is your reasonable act of worship, right? He says, it's the logical thing, you know, for us to do in in light of what Christ has done for us. Then what will happen? He goes, then the Spirit of God will come upon your life. You know, we go back to the book of Acts, right? He said, you know, Terry, wait for the promise that will will come upon you not many days from now when the Holy Spirit, you know, was given and was poured out. And so you not only submit yourself to God, but God then gives you himself and he gives you his spirit. What we see in the apostle Paul's life, he's going, I didn't do this in my own strength. You know, he's going to talk about signs and wonders here. He's going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when Paul talks about, you know, teaching here, you know, again, to instruct, to to counsel, you know, first and foremost, that comes from the Lord himself, you know, as we have been changed and transformed, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and God makes us. And and I love this, uh, Dr. J. Adams, he he wrote books years ago, he's since gone home to be with the Lord, but he wrote a book, some of you are familiar with it, called Competent to Counsel, Competent to Counsel. And it was actually based on Romans 15, 14, this very text that we're looking at, you know, here, Uh, the Greek word for admonished uh, is uh, nuthateo. And it's where we get our, our English word uh neuthetic, which refers to in biblical terms, neuthetic counseling or confrontational. It could sound negative, but it's positive, it means to use the Bible in in a constructive way in people's lives. Um, like I said, he wrote many books, but obviously the one that I'm referring to here today is you know competent to counsel. And and I'll just read to you, you know, from my note here, he said, you know, that based on Romans uh fifteen, fourteen. J. Adams, when he created this concept to, um, to teach it to biblical counselors, um, he said, "You know, instead of conforming to the world and relying on secular counselors and secular psychologists, Dr. Adams believes, according to Scripture, every gift necessary for building up of the body of Christ is present in every local expression." Of the body of christ which is the local church and we are competent to counsel one another and and sadly you know we do this the same thing in the church as we do in the world you go well i'm not i'm not trained you know and people they'll do that they go uh so what's you know what's your credentials and i go you know 30 some odd years of you know Forty years walking with Jesus, um, you know, thousands of books, conferences, Bible college. I mean, what what is it specifically? You know, what well, do you have? A, are you? Do you have a doctorate? No, I don't. I definitely don't have a doctorate degree. Um, but what I have is is you know a truth that is unchanging. You know, one of the things if you ever gone to a, a a doctor, even and you know, everything is relative for that moment. And and the beauty of scripture, I always love this. You know, people would go see Pastor Chuck, and they'd want to see Pastor Chuck. And he, you know, church of twenty thousand people. He's going, you know, I um, really we don't have have the space and the time. He said, you know, what is the problem that you're facing? And they would name a problem. And Chuck would say, well, just go to the bookstore, and I'll call over there, and I'll tell them to give you, you know, uh, cassette number. Uh, 104. And they'd go, we have a pastor I need to come talk to. And he goes, no, you want to come talk to me. And I get that. He said, but I, I know you just told me what your problem is. And I'll tell you, let me give you this tape. It's free. And it has everything in there because it comes from the word of God. Because I can tell you this, what I'm going to tell you is exactly what's in that tape. And I'm not going to tell you anymore because that's what we do as a counselor. I, I can listen. You're, you, we all think that our stories ultimately different but really it isn't in the truest sense and god's word is unchanging right and god's word is not like any other book it's not like anything that you'll read in the truest sense we don't even read the bible the truest sense the bible reads us right hebrews 4 you know tells us that the word of god is living and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword it's able to discern between the joints and the marrow. i mean it, it it pierces us that's why it's been well said that sin will keep you from the Bible and Bible, the Bible will keep you from sin. That, that's the beauty of it. It's what Paul is referring to in Romans chapter 12 when he says, you know, don't be squeezed in by this world. Don't be conformed by this world. But what? Be transformed because the word of God will change you. It's just that people don't believe that. They go, I, no, talking about it isn't going to change you. You know, talking about it might get it out. That could be good. That's what you need friends for. But the counsel of God, it's when it's not that, again, that even that I'm getting in the Word of God, it's, is the Word of God getting into me? That is what Paul is, is talking about here. So when I think about, you know, neuthetic counseling, um, you know, he says, you, you can admonish one another, you can instruct one another, you can advise one another because of your working knowledge of the Word of God. And, and it's so true. You might be here today and, and you don't think, oh, what do I have to offer people? You know what you have to offer people? I don't have anything to offer you. In the true sense, you don't have anything to offer me, but what we have is, it's, what is the expression? Just give me Jesus, amen? And, and if we would just help people, again, that's, that's what Paul is bringing us back to, it's point people to Jesus. You know, We were just singing this in, the, in worship, right? Because what, he's the same. what? Yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad about that? In a world that's constantly changing, there's so much information coming at us, we can't keep up with it. But the God who created the heavens and the earth, who created the universe and everything in it, he's unchanging. And I love that about it. And that's what people need. They need a rock. What is that expression? I didn't realize Jesus was rock solid until what? I hit rock bottom. I didn't realize Jesus was all I needed until what? Jesus was all I had. And you find that to be true. And that was true for Paul. It was true for the early church. And so verse 15 goes on. It says, and even so, he says, I have been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder. He's going, I just, I'm just going to remind you what I've already told you. There's nothing new under the sun. Didn't Solomon tell us that? You know, the, the word of God, we talk about it's closed canon. It's not God isn't adding to it. There's not a new book. There's not a new story. There's not a new method. You know, the writer of Hebrew says, you know, that, you know, God in the days of old, he spoke to us through the prophets. He spoke to us through the fathers. But he says, but in these last days, he's given us what? His word. He's given us his son. He's given us Jesus. Jesus is God's final word. And, and people can, they can argue against that. And you go, I get that. You go, but the truth is he came once and he ascended back into heaven. And, and what did the angels tell those that were standing there in the book of Acts as they gazed up into the heavens? Said, you men of Galilee, why is it that you gaze up into the heavens? This Jesus who you see ascending is what? He's gonna come back in the same manner. And so a lot of times that's what fixes problems for us is that what? We have our hope in Jesus. Guess what? You look at the world today and you go, this place is messed up, right? And you, and you think, can, you, can we even fix it? Do you think we can even fix it? Most people go, and, and it's, not a, it's not a, I want you to be clear on this, it's not a, a helpless or a hopeless statement what I'm making. We go, can we fix this? And you go, no, we can't. People go, oh, that that's not very, po-. yes, it is, because who can fix it? God. And what did God say that he was gonna do? Did he say, you guys get it figured out and then I'll come back? He's like, no. He was like, the the key is that we hasten his return, right? We go, Lord, what is our our prayer? What's the call of our, our heart? Come quickly, what? Maranatha, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's not escapism. Well, I guess it is in the most beautiful way, right? That's what I got to remind people yesterday. Paul told the little church in Thessalonica there, actually probably where he was right before, makes this this statement here, is that there's a day coming when that the sound of the trumpet, the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ will what? They're going to rise. And those of us, he says, who are alive and remain, he says, will be caught up with them in the air to be with the Lord forever. And he goes, and then he said, comfort one another. Some translations mean admonish one another. Others say encourage one another with that. Why? Because it's true. Because Jesus is coming back. And then are we looking to him? Has it got our attention? Because we get so distracted, I don't know about you, but I can, by so many things in this world. And, it, and it's just a reminder all the time. It's like Keep the main thing the main thing, right? And, and that's what Paul is doing in his life. He's keeping the main thing, the main thing. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, and and like I said, I, I confess in my own life, you know, I forget the things that I need to remember. And I remember so many things that I need to forget. And I think in many ways, you're a lot like me. And so Paul, he never grew tired. And I pray we never grow tired. It's one thing, you know, as a Bible teacher, if all of a sudden somebody's going, you go, ah, if I've told you once, you know, did your parents ever do that? I'm tired of telling you, mom, when are we going to be there? How much longer? You know, and we we get that, you know, in a human sense. But to be able to go, no, hey, I, I love to tell a story, right? I could have John come up and sing it, you know, had to tell a story about what? About Jesus as our savior. We, we should never grow tired of that. I mean, to get to tell that story over and over and over, if it ever gets to the place where it doesn't mean something to you, then man. We, we need to be asking God to go, Lord, revive me, amen? I mean, there's nothing that should even come close to competing with that. Telling each other those timeless truths. I like what David Guzik said. He says, in fulfilling this call, Paul didn't just preach the gospel of salvation, but he also instructed believers how to live before God. So it's not just like the message isn't just repent repent, because people are going, I'd change, but what? Because repent means to change, to turn from, and to, but it's not just turning from something, but it's turning to someone, amen? Turning from your way and my way, turning to God's way of, of doing life. But so then we need instruction in that. It's easy to say, repent, You know, turn from, you go, what, what do I do? And this is what Paul is doing. So much of what he's doing is instructional. Go. Here's Here's what we should do. This should be the life that we live from this point on and and for the most part you can summarize you know the 10 commandments just with that statement you before me whether that's god you before me and then in our relationships with other people you before me it doesn't mean that we're not important you know what is that expression you know that's that god isn't asking you to to you know think less of yourself what he's asking you to do is is think of yourself less you know and, and it's so true. You know, we get it all twisted around. You know, yes, God knows that we have needs. Matter of fact, he says he knows what we have need of before what? We even ask him, right? And, and, and the promises of God are what? They're yes and amen to them that believe. I mean, God, he's, he's for us. He's not against us, you know. That's what Paul is reminding us, you know, in Romans chapter 8, right? And what could separate us from the love of God? Not a thing. I like what 2 Peter 1.12 says. It says, I would not be, and this is Peter talking, he says, I would not be negligent to put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them and are established in the present truth. And so Peter, like Paul, is going, you know what? One of my favorite things to do is just to keep reminding you of what I've been reminding you about, and I hope that you never grow tired of hearing it. How many are married in here? Does it, does it, do you ever grow tired of your spouse looking at you and say, I love you? Have you ever turned to them and went, you told me yesterday, you know, I mean, God, okay, I know you have to keep saying it, you know, it it means something right over and over and over again, that redundancy of things that are important and there's nothing more important and you know why, you know, revelation chapter 12 tells us that we have an accuser. There's an accuser of the brethren, right? The devil himself. And how often does he accuse us? What does he tell us there? Anybody know? He accuses us. He says, how often? Day and what? Day and night. Day and night. Day and night. And it goes on to say, but we overcome him by what? The blood of the Lamb. And by the word of our testimony the blood of the lamb going hey you know what all the things you're, you're saying all the things that i mean if there's anybody who wants you to forget it's the devil okay he wants you to forget and god wants you to remember and the devil there is you know matthew i think chapter 13 tells us you know that when the word of god is sown what does the enemy do right away it says he comes and he tries to what snatch it away so that it wouldn't fall on, on a heart that would be receptive to it. So there is, there is a spiritual battle constantly that's taking place. You know, there's there's things that will make, you know, uh, for a distraction, anything that the devil can do to distract you from focusing in on, on who Jesus is and his word in your life and the role that it should play. Life will get busy, things will happen, you know, all kinds of things. You just sit down, you know. Have you ever just sat down to you you can't sleep, right? And you sit down and you go, I'll just read the Bible. And then as soon as you start to read the Bible, what happens? It's like the devil just blesses you asleep, right? You're like, no, it's definitely true. So when you think about, you know, the fundamental purpose of the new counseling, let me share this with you, or biblical confrontation, as it's often called, is to affect personality and behavioral change. So when you think about that, what does God desire to do when he counsels us with his word? He wants to bring about change. Would you agree with that? He's changing us from glory to glory. That's what God wants to do in our lives. He doesn't want us, as James said, he, James warns us of a problem that we can have. He says, don't merely be what? Hearers of God's word. do doesn't mean just that you go to church and you listen to a Bible study. Now, now listening is important because Paul tells us in the book of Romans, faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. There's something that's more powerful about the spoken word than there is the written word, something being written down. You know, God spoke. People captured it. But man, to hear that spoken word, most of the time, often, you know, when the Word of God went forth, and especially when we think of the New Testament, um, they didn't have these letters. These letters were written afterwards, right? what they were doing was they were sitting, they were listening to the instruction. Faith was coming by hearing God's word and then doing what? Responding to it. And we, we, we need to be reminded of that, that God desires to bring about transformation in all of our lives. And Paul is affirming the church there at Rome. He's going, you guys understand this, and you know this. That's why the gospel is so important, because Jesus Christ changes people's lives. Do you believe that? You know, I mean, it's not, hopefully it's not just a song, you know, I'm a life that was changed, right? That you go, but you really believe that and you know that to be true. And you go, how did that transformation take place? And you go, by the word of God, the word of God going forth. And so here you can see why Paul just keeps driving this point to come back to the word of God, understanding the things that he was teaching, you know, neuthetic confrontation in its biblical usage. I took this right from the book. Um, competent to counsel. It says, aims at strengthening and straightening out the individual by changing his patterns of behavior to conform to biblical standards. Obviously what Paul would write, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Verse 16 goes on of himself. He says, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles, and I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering. This is such a powerful verse. I, I know for most of us, we, we miss the intent and then really the depth of what Paul would draw out here in this. And he says, to make you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. So when Paul's defining his, his ministry here as, as ministering the gospel of God, he uses a word that doesn't occur anywhere else in the New Testament. And and if you render this word correctly, it says, so the ministry of the gospel is conceived of after the pattern of a priestly offering. Okay, so he's got in mind, he's a Pharisee, he's been a Pharisee uh, of the Jews. Um, I mean, he understands the Old Testament law, he understands the Levitical process, he understands what the priests did. Uh, in the synagogue, so so follow with me in this. He says, you know, when when Paul uses this word messenger here in verse sixteen, you know, some of your translations will say ministering, which is the Greek word uh, liturgias there, and it's where we get our English word liturgy. Okay, liturgy is a church word, right? For the most part, maybe you've heard it, especially if you were raised, you know, Lutheran, Catholic, you know, something uh, to that effect um but it means to perform a public act of religious service so so follow with me here so it was used by the priest the jewish priest obviously that served in the temple and so when they would serve publicly before the lord on behalf of the people they would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people to god that was their liturgy right that's what that's what they did and so liturgy in the church it represents really the communal response to the participation in the sacred activities at reflecting praise or worship, thanksgiving, you know, remembrance, supplication, repentance could be communion, you know, all these things that, that pastors do, you know, in the form of, of a church uh, is the basis for establishing, you know, a relationship with God. That's the reason that, that we do these things. So, when you think about this, in the Jewish temple, what significance did the Gentiles play? So it's interesting that paul here in verse 16 what he talks about the gentiles being an acceptable sacrifice to god they had no place in the temple who did the priest offer the sacrifice for in the temple yeah the jews he didn't offer it for the gentiles where were the gentiles at that time we study you have the court of the gentiles right or we call it Solomon's porch, right? They were on the outside, right? They couldn't even go into the court of the Jews, the court of the women, the court of the men. They couldn't go into the holy place. They definitely couldn't go into the holy of holies. So there was no sacrifice. So here's Paul talking about the Gentiles here in such a way that they are an acceptable sacrifice. And so that, that term that he uses there for liturgy so in essence, what Paul is saying, he says, you, you Gentiles, you were excluded from God, but you have been made a special offering to God. So, you, And you've got to follow this. So it kind of, like I said, when you look at the, the meaning of this, he's saying those that are excluded, God includes right here. He says, and he makes them a special offering. and And Paul here he is officiating as the priest. He's saying, now, when you gentiles and so think about this. It's a beautiful picture. It goes takes us really back to Romans chapter 12. He says, you know, that our reasonable act of worship is to do what? Is to offer ourselves as a what? A living sacrifice, right? So he's picturing this. So when the priests went to the altar, they killed the sacrifice, right? They, they sacrificed it wholly to God. Well, he's now saying, as, as Gentiles, he said, when you come to God and you offer, I'm offering you then as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, he's talking about this being the, the liturgy, you know, the sacrifice to God who accepts. And he's saying that God accepts the sacrifice. And so what we see here is, you know, just like in the gospel, you know, like God's mercy and his grace. They're not just for the Jews, but for the, for the Gentiles as well. And so what Paul then, when you really take this forward, you think about it, every time church that you and I share the gospel with someone and they respond to the gospel, it's like offering a living sacrifice to God that's holy and pleasing. He accepts it and he's honored by it. I mean, we didn't. We never. You know, we will never play the role of a priest like in the Old Testament. We're not going to take a sacrifice, place it on the altar, right, and watch the the smoke go up, hopefully towards heaven. You know, the Jews they were very superstitious. You know, when they would offer a sacrifice and the smoke would go up to heaven, if if it was unbroken, if it went up into the clouds, they believed that that it was a fragrant aroma before God and that God accepted it. But if the wind came along, and it blew the cloud away. They believe that God rejected the sacrifice, and that's a terrible thing. Can you imagine as a family, you made this sacrifice, you offer it before God, and the cloud goes up, you're watching, and all of a sudden the wind comes and goes, and the priest looks at you and goes, you walk away what? Dejected, right? But thank God in Christ Jesus, he offered himself before God, and what is he? He's a fragrant aroma for us, right? I mean, holy, pleasing him. He went beyond the veil, you know, everything is completely accepted, you know, by God. And he's saying that then of the believer, that when we understand this, he's going, you, you and I, we function as priests in that moment. Every time we share the gospel, this is why he's driving this, how important the gospel is, because every time someone responds to it, they become a living sacrifice that is acceptable to God, that's holy and pleasing to him. You know, what does scripture tell us? You know, that what happens in heaven every time a, a sinner repents and turns to God? What does it tell us? Do you remember? Yeah, it's like there's a party going on, right? In heaven. It's like you ever been driving down the road past Jason's house when he's barbecuing? You ever smell barbecue like just driving? You don't have to necessarily be a meat eater, right? And you just go, You know, that, and that's how it is. And God's going, when, when, when a sinner repents, when someone gets saved before God, he was like. And and so Paul's captured this and he's going, and, and it's what drives his life is every day. It's like, I want people to get saved. And you go, why? Well, it's not that he can put a notch on his his belt and say, you know, oh, I led somebody to Jesus today. That reminds me, you know, in Deal Moody, you know, Deal Moody was one of the, the most fascinated evangelists in American history. He was a shoe salesman that be, ultimately became an evangelist and a pastor in Chicago. And he was so motivated in evangelism. he made his own, the Lord didn't put this on him. He put it on himself, but he's made it a, a vow that he would never go to bed without sharing Jesus Christ with somebody, with, with some lost sinner. And he'd been, for some reason, this particular day, uh, he, you know, the day got away from him. It was, you know, after 11 o'clock at night, he went to bed and he laid there and he thought, oh, you know, I didn't share Jesus with anybody today. So he got up and put his clothes on and he started looking around, you know, for somebody to share with. So finally he finds a guy and he starts sharing the gospel. And the guy tells him, he goes, hey, mind your own business. And Dale Moody looks right at him he goes, this is my business. And he shared the gospel with him. And ultimately, you know, the story goes on that ultimately the guy, you know, turns, deal what he shares and leaves. He's like planted seed because I did my job. I did what God t- told me to do. The guy didn't want to respond to it. Goes back, goes to bed. And then about two o'clock in the morning, guy's knocking on his door, repenting. And he leads him to to Jesus right then and there, you know. But it's that kind of heart that you go, that you you see that people, People are the sacrifice, the, the before God, a living sacrifice. And that's why Paul is, is so in love with the body of Christ. He sees you know, that they're precious before God, that every soul matters to God, whether you are a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, that Jesus came to break down these walls of separation here. You know, as 1 Peter 2, 5 puts it, it says, and you are living stones that God is building up into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifice that please God. And then verses 17 18 go on. It says, and so I have reason to be enthusiastic. Obviously, you know, he goes, man, you, you guys are what it's all about. He says, uh, all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. Bringing the Gentiles to God by the message, by the way that I work amongst them. So he wasn't bragging about his ministry; he was boasting of what God had done through him. He was like, he, he was appreciative, he was thankful, you know, that God, you know, and it should humble us out. Any time that God would use us, you know, to minister to other people, that He would get all the praise and He would get all the glory. And you think that God would even allow us? The privilege of, of being an ambassador for him. And Paul is just caught up in that. You know, Colossians 1.18, he makes it clear, Paul himself, he says, Christ who is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning supreme over all who uh, rise from the dead. So he is the first. So he has preeminence, some of your translation says, in everything. He's going, in my life, in your life, Jesus should have first place. And so the question that begs to be asked today in my life and your life. Does Jesus have first place you know and and that's what happens when he does when when Jesus has first place, everything starts falling into place. That's what he's talking about here in chapter fifteen that unity in the body will always give birth to a desire to share the gospel in the world. It's just the Ten Commandments being lived out, loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then the outgrowth is that as what as loving our neighbors as ourselves it what happens is this transformation brings about. A lifestyle of you before me—that you just start. You're looking around, and you're going, "Hey, we're here for such a time as this." I mean, to think that God would use us in the lives of people—the key is: Are am I open? Am I willing? Am I even aware, you know, of what God desires to do in my life? Verse nineteen goes on; it says, "And they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit." In this way, he says, "I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem." All the way uh, to uh, Lycium, uh, so this little little city. You know, Paul's going. I, I've made it fourteen thousand miles around, and i been what the because the love of God compels me wherever he was going. And it's in in one of the unfortunate things that can happen in all of our lives. We can get caught up in business and forget that in God's economy, all business is what it's people business. That's what it's all about. Your job, if I look around, I go, everybody represents some other place. They work someplace, their lives are, you know, someplace else. And you go, but the bottom line is that you're there to do what? To represent Christ. You are Christ's ambassador. He's placed you specifically. You were kind of like, you know, behind enemy lines, you might say, so to speak. You might be the only Christian in the place that you work. And you go, in one sense, that's awesome that he's planted you there. People oh, you know, I don't have any other believers to fellowship with. And you go, well, that's not a bad thing. That means that you're in a what? You're in a harvest field, right? Jesus said the field is ripe and it's ready for harvest to do what? Pray. Pray that God would send in labors into the field, right? He said, for the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are what? Few. And we go, God, I guess there's some work for me to do here. You know? Otherwise, you go, oh, it's like going to work. It's like just going to church. And you go, no, I get that. You go, but that wasn't the call of our lives. We were to go into the world and make disciples, right? And that's the motivation, you know, Paul is he's going, so wherever, wherever I go. And, and the Holy Spirit is, you know, he's declaring is who empowered Paul. And, and again, and we know that he validated his life. He says, you know, through signs and wonders. You know, we think about, you know, miracles, you know, they were signs. What are they? signs do what? They give you information. You know, they point to something. Like you see a sign that says Los Angeles, you know, X amount of miles. So it's telling you something's ahead. If, if it's a wonder, I, I love the expression of what is a wonder? A wonder just simply makes you wonder, right? It gets your attention. So God does signs and wonders you know, in the lives of people. But their purpose wasn't just you know, that God would do a miracle, that he would do a sign, or that he would do a wonder, is that it would open the door for the gospel to be preached. We could never lose sight of that. And, you know, miracles weren't an end in themselves. They were always a means to an end. And the end was to share the gospel with other people. You know, he, Hebrews 2 4 puts it like this and says, And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever He chose. And He still does the same thing today. Whenever God chooses, God affirms His word. He always will. And so you think about, you know, where paul is you know you think about his love for people and the in his life i was thinking about this you know in second corinthians chapter 11 verses 26 to 28 and he says and are they hebrews he says, so am i he says are they israelites he says so am i are they the seed of abraham so am i so he's talking about his relationship just like those of, of his fellow jews he says so am i he says are they ministers of christ he says i speak as a fool I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure in prisons, more frequently in deaths, often from the Jews. Five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep and journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, and perils of the Gentiles, and perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren. And weariness and in toil and sleeplessness often, and hunger and in thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness, besides the other things. What comes upon me daily? He says, My deep concern for all the churches. Man, I mean, is it pretty safe to say what motivated Paul every single day of his life? He loved people. He wanted people to hear the gospel. He didn't let other things, he, again, it's the kiss method keep it simple, saint keep it simple it's saved yeah and then and we'll wrap it up just read through this uh, verse 20 says my ambition has always been what to preach the gospel the good news where the name of christ has never been heard again he wasn't trying to you know step into somebody else's you know work he, he wanted to go where the gospel had never gone before it says rather than where a church has already been started by someone else in verse 21, he says, And I have been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says, Those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. He's, he's quoting you know, the book of Isaiah there, talking about you know, the, uh, the servants of God, and you know, ultimately speaking of Jesus. And In some ways, it reflects you know, his own life and the things that I just you know, read of him. And in verse 22 goes on, it says, And in fact, he says, My visit to you has been delayed so long, because I have been preaching in these places. You know, one of the things that we have to appreciate about Paul, when he started something, he finished it, amen? I mean, he didn't just, you know, start it and go get bored with it. Because why? Because lives matter. Lives matter. Lives count. All lives matter to God. And there's nothing more. He says, Peter writes, he says, God is not willing, church, that what? That any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Let me ask you this. When you look at the apostle Paul and you look at his life, is it easy to see his love for God and his love for people? And you go, yeah. There's a fruit that comes with that. And and our prayer should be, you know, today, you know, and every day is that God, you know, that that my life, that your life would have that same reflection. Paul would just say, be imitators of me as I am of who? Of Christ. Yeah. And so when you look at your life today, you know, as we close, you know, look at that and go, is, has, have I got off course? Is, is it not simple anymore? Or, you know, has it got too complex? You know, you've been walking with Jesus long enough that you're competent to counsel other people. You know, I don't want to be like, you know, Eli to his own sons, you know, that he saw what they were doing and he and he and instead of speaking into their life, you know, you can go, well, you know, I knew that they were doing wrong. That's 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 not enough. But to bring about, you know, the correction, you know, the Bible makes very clear that all scripture, Paul writes to Timothy, right, all scripture is good for what? For correction, for teaching, right, for re- reproof, for rebuking. You know, that the, the man or the woman of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work and that you and I, that we would come to a place, and we've got to come there a lot faster than I think maybe we're prepared for in the world today, but be prepared to share the Word of God without backing down, without shame, without fear, without doubt. Because what? We believe this truth. is. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? Yeah. You know, and I love that expression, You know, friends don't let friends miss heaven. You know, people ask me that, you know, about my sister-in-law, you know, that was one of the things, and it's kind of disheartening in, in one respect when you hear it from so many different believers, and they go, did, did she, did she know the Lord? And I want to say, you know, this, you can pray for me because this just reveals my human heart. I want to go like, did you ever ask her? I mean, why are we afraid to ask people? I, I don't want to offend them. I go, I, I don't want them to go to hell either. You know, ask. Don't be afraid to ask. That's what that's Paul's saying is, you know, hey, I know that you guys know the truth, and Jesus said the truth you'll know, and the truth will set you free. And if it set you free, guess what? It'll set other people free, true. true. It, it just is, it, as true it is for you, it can be for them. So let's pray and go, God, God, that truth that you have made known to me, you know, Paul's going, you know, stir that up in your own heart, stir it up in the lives of other people. I believe, you know, I mean, we have so many things that we can take advantage of right now. You know, we got the the movie, The Jesus Revolution, is out there. There's just so many opportunities. God is moving. He desires to move. People are open. They're scared. Jesus offers peace. He, he offers hope. Everything that we have need of is available to us. Do you, but the question is, for me, for you, do we believe that? And my hope is you do. And that this week, you know, you take full advantage, just like the church at Rome. You know, I believe in you. I believe you are competent to counsel people with the word of God. The key is, you know, how do you, how do you let a lion fight? You know, I think it was Spurgeon who said it. You just let the lion out of the cage. You know, let, let the lion out of the cage. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let him out this week and watch what he does. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. And we, we, Lord, look to you. Not only is our hope and our sufficiency, but Lord, that you would be the empowerment, the strength of our lives, that God, throughout the course of our week, that you'd be the director, you, you would give us the directives, the things that we need, the things that Lord we desire. Father, we pray for the world around us, Lord, we know you you did, this wasn't a suggestion, it was a commandment for your bride, for your church to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them as your word declares all the things that you've commanded us. And you said that you'd be with us. You weren't going to just leave us on our own to figure it out, but you would go before us. And then you would validate it, just like you did the Apostle Paul, signs and wonders. The the greatest sign, the greatest wonder, people respond to the gospel when people get saved. And then to offer them up as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you, Lord. Oh, that you'd be glorified. And so, Father, we pray as your word declares, give us the lost as an inheritance, Lord. Lead us to people this week that need you. Lord, help us to be open to share the love of Christ. The fact that you came, that you lived, you died, you rose again so we could be saved, Lord, so the world could be saved there's hope in you. May we not lose sight of that. Help us to not get so caught up that we think that the the message is complex. You've made it so simple. And may we do that this week. May as, as we think about that, that KISS method, keep it simple, Saint, sharing the love of Jesus, Lord, for your glory. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.